welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 305, recorded August 18th, 2019. So today we're dipping back into the gold key well with issues 39, 40, and 41. Yes, and, uh, you know, typical gold key. Uh, they are nothing if not consistent. Uh, <laughs> and, and and they're fine. They're fine. These episodes are okay. Um yeah, it's funny because I was, uh, before recording, I was arguing to Ken that these were some of the better Gold Key. And then when we started talking about them, I was like, oh, yeah, these these are just normal Gold Key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gold Key cannot be, um, you can't argue that it's groundbreaking. Any any issue. But, uh, eh, whatever, it's fine. It's what it is. And it's a source of Star Trek stories, and that's why we love it. And it's for the youngins. It is for, for the, youngins. the youngins. It's for the youngins, indeed. Uh, and it's quite pretty. I mean, it's got some some good artwork, especially the covers. So. Right. And I will say that uh, I think that you know, like for this next one, um, I mean, it does introduce certain sci-fi tropes and things like that that a little kid who's reading this uh, may not have already been exposed to, especially back in the seventies mm-hmm. uh, when. They're not exposed to, you know, fifty years worth of movies and TV shows to mm-hmm. fall back on it and have seen these tropes time and time again. So maybe for a little kid, you know, ten years old or whatever, reading this off the stand, um, you know, the idea of cryo freezing and things mm-hmm. like that is is something of a new idea, and and they're kind of ex- exploring that here in these stories. Yeah, good point. Okay, so um, what's going on in the world, Donovan? Anything worth mentioning? Uh, nope. Okay. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, uh, anything we mention is going to be so old by the time we actually post this. But uh, I will say that I continue to be uh, encouraged and happy with what I'm seeing for the new Picard series, which of course will have probably already been on and gone by the time this posts. But yep. um, it is a summer of 2019, and it's all a glimmering future. That'll happen in 2020 to us right now. And uh, Comic-Con trailer came out, and it looks really good. And uh, we haven't spoken about this before, have we? Nope, not on okay. the show. Okay. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's really cool. Yeah, cool definitely looking. looking forward to it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I don't really want to – I don't know if I want to see a Giorgio uh, series, but they keep talking about that too. So Yeah. Uh, and Discovery Season 3 and uh, – you know, maybe a Pike uh, show, but I doubt that'll ever happen. Yeah, right. Although well, I'd rather see that than the Section Thirty One show. Yeah, so would I. I mean, completely. <laughs> I would rather see a Pike show than Discovery, quite frankly. But whatever. Uh, I still want to see season three of Discovery, of course. Uh, of course, the big news uh, is Viacom and CBS merging again. Again, it's probably a done deal by the time this posts. But as right. of, this is this, that's really new news. Didn't that just happen this past week? Yeah, this past week. It was announced. So uh, we're not going to go into it, but there's tons of 
of things with the uh, CBS split from Viacom. Viacom took, of course, Paramount and the and the rights to make movies, and then uh, CBS really has the TV rights, and really they they're the holder of the rights. Period. Um, and they impose a lot of things on uh, Viacom since they're separate companies. Um, anyway, I thought it, uh, putting them back together again, at least in theory, should get rid of all the artificial edicts that, uh, hey, this is your stuff, and it's got to be separate from my stuff, and it's got to be different enough from my stuff, and now it's more of, or can be, hopefully, more of a cohesive Star Trek universe. Right. Again. Do you think that that split had something to do with um, Enterprise not ever being able to show up in comic books and things like that? Oh, I, I don't know. Or do you think literally it's just nobody cares about Star- Enterprise? I think, no, well, I, I, I think there was an oversaturation of Star Trek. And uh, unfortunately, because of his timing, Enterprise came in on the tail end of it. And... Uh, didn't get the kind of uh, attention it should have. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, uh, definitely Next Gen and Taws were more bankable, maybe. That's why they got a lot more stuff that, that still continued on. Comic yeah, but even with, things, I mean, but... next week we're going to do the Q conflict, which Ooh. crosses over Taws, Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine. And uh, I mean, I haven't read it yet, but from looking at it, there's no Enterprise. Yeah, and this whole idea is awesome. I mean, we've never had them all together, ever, in one right. story before, or these many of the uh, franchises. Um, yeah, so why leave, leave one out? That's what I don't get. Unless there is some sort of back, back-end reason. Because Enterprise... Viacom, Viacom and CBS split off while uh, uh, Enterprise was ha- was on. So I was kind of, I've always kind of wondered if maybe... Hmm. They somehow got got washed up in in whatever was going on. Maybe, with that. maybe, maybe. I don't but that's one hundred percent speculation, and I have yeah. uh, no proof of anything. Right. Okay. Shall we start? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I get to do the first one. This is uh, Gold Key Star Trek number thirty nine, titled "Prophet of Peace." Uh, August nineteen seventy six's published date. I don't know who wrote anything uh, or drew anything. So let's just go on to the cover. So the cover features uh, Kirk and Spock in skin-tight red spacesuits with their names printed on the helmets for convenience. The spacesuits look more like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea scuba diving suits than than the spacesuits that we're used to, Uh, but whatever. Um, They are in space trying to move some kind of cryotube containing a humanoid with longish blonde hair and wire-rimmed glasses on. The head of a strange-looking purple-skinned alien with green hair is looking down at a brain. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is a disembodied brain, um, which is in the uh, in the upper left quadrant of the cover. Um, a poorly drawn Enterprise is in the background, partially obscured by Kirk's muscular red arm. Large text reads, Frozen Sleep in the Depths of Space exclamation mark at the end. Kirk, Spock, Scotty, and Dr. McCoy are on a spacewalk near the Enterprise to pick up a suspended animation capsule that just is hanging out in open space. 
The capsule contains someone from Earth's past of great stature. So these four most senior officers are a type of honor guard. They bring the capsule into the ship and decontaminate it and themselves. Not only did they bring the sleeper into the ship, but they will personally oversee that person's awakening. The sleeper is Dr. Bleikoff, who was a scientist, but also a spiritualist and activist, a leader who was known and well-regarded by people around the globe. He fell ill to an incurable disease and was offered an opportunity to be frozen in suspended animation until the time came that he could be revived and cured of his disease. McCoy leads the effort to reawaken Bleikoff and cure him. The first step of the process will be to open the sleeper capsule. When Scotty opens the capsule, a brief but bright flash takes all four of them back. Assuming it was just an old piece of electronics failing, they proceed with the awakening. Oddly enough, the freezing of all the water in the doctor's body, which should have destroyed every cell in his body, did not seem to leave a mark on him. His brain, his speech, and even his body movements seemed to be none the worse for wear. Kirk orders a heading back for Earth to bring the doctor home for a hero's welcome. When they enter Earth orbit, the doctor makes a heartfelt request to tour the future Earth to understand what changes have taken place and where mankind had come during his long sleep. Kirk turns down the request at first. His orders are very clear that Dr. Bleikoff is to be brought to the leaders of Earth and the Federation, not to go on some open-ended world tour. The crew almost seems on the brink of mutiny, wanting the doctor's request accommodated. Kirk contacts Earth and is given permission to take the doctor on his tour. The doctor speaks to small gatherings of people and large ones. He views the nine wonders of the world and noticed changes. A sphere at the top of the Eiffel Tower and the Statue of Liberty... He notices them distributed at high points across the globe, and he is told the spheres are part of a global Earth defense system called EDI, called EDS for short. He comments on how mankind has not evolved out of their tendency towards violence. There is no more obvious evidence of that than EDS. He galvanizes large audiences through individual interactions, The will of the people was to remove EDS and bring love and peace back to the world. Kirk, Scotty, Spock, and McCoy are worried about how the tide of public opinion is beginning to back up the doctor. As explorers and military men, they have seen the beauty and danger the galaxy has to offer. Removing EDS would be an invitation to aggressive spacefaring civilizations that Earth was weak and unprotected, ripe for plunder. The fabulous four see the danger, but everyone else uh, seems to be of the same mindset to the doctor. They must find a way to stop Bleikoff. After some serious noodling, they conjecture that the doctor was messed with by aliens of ill intent. 
McCoy, of all people, figured his original brain must have been replaced by a programmable electronic one. The doctor is doing the bidding of alien evildoers who programmed him as a sleeper weapon against humanity. They figure that they are the only ones who can resist the doctor's unnatural persuasion due to the inoculating flash they experienced when they opened up the sleeper capsule. The Fabulous Four figure out cunning ways to test their theory, including setting up x-ray scans at a rocket terminal that they knew the doctor would be uh, transitioning through. The doctor knew the jig would be up if he allowed his alien electronic brain to be scanned, so he made a big scene about not wanting his privacy defiled. Wow, I wish that would work for me when flying through airports. The doctor's popularity is at a fevered pitch and only the Fantastic Four seem to be immune to the Doctor's unnatural powers of persuasion. On the eve of the Doctor's first worldwide address, the Doctor suspects Kirk and company is not with him, so the Doctor has guards arrest the Fantastic Four. They are able to get free and decide to confront Dr. Bleikoff with a world audience to uncover the alien scam. Kirk is able to use an electronic magnetic eraser device to scramble the the electronic mind controlling the doctor's long-dead body. The device works and leaves the doctor a drooling, inanimate corpse on the ground with smoke rising from his head. The people of the world snap out of their almost hypnotic fog and realize how close they came to losing their primary defense against alien invasion. Later back on the bridge of the flagship Enterprise, Spock insults Scotty while Kirk and McCoy cheers on the pointy-eared bully. The end. So for the record, Reed Richards is not in this episode. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. You keep keep saying Fantastic Four. I just want to clarify. That's fine, but there's four of them, and they're fantastic. fantastic. I mean, I, I had to do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so, well, uh, well nor- normally it's the terrific trio But we have Scotty thrown in the mix this time Yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha I like how this, this issue They resolve it and conclude everything Without one shred of evidence This whole episode wraps <laughs> up to them Hey, I think that this is happening It's all conjecture And there's probably some other aliens out there That have replaced his brain I mean, it's just like where are you getting this stuff from? <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and, and yeah, go ahead. No, no. The main thing is when they were in reanimating him, the doctor didn't scan him first. I mean, come on. And what about right. tricorders? They don't have tricorders all of a sudden. A simple tricorder could have scanned him. Right. Anyway, whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's okay. Yeah. No. I mean. uh and I guess that's why they didn't beam him over and said they had that whole, uh-huh. uh, we're going to go out here and get him because, you know, you don't want a chance beaming over such an important person or something like that. I mean, they do have that conversation out in space with, for no reason. Right. Well, here's another question. Why? If this is such an important person, why is it just floating in space? Yeah, exactly. Why not on a Botany Bay type ship somewhere? Or, or what about Earth? I mean, 
freeze him and put him in storage somewhere? Well, yeah, in a, in a protected building uh, of some kind, instead of floating free in space. Does that make any sense to anybody? Anybody? It makes no sense to nobody. No, of course not. But that that does that does give the opportunity for the the cryo tube to be uh, taken and messed with the occupant by alien forces. So obviously you need that, but it makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't like that everything was conjecture, and yet it all worked out at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would have been nice if maybe the aliens did show up and say, hey, we really we really do exist and we're trying to get the little balls destroyed. But they don't even do that. It's just I think that there might be aliens out there replacing brains and hoping that we'll someday uh, remove these balls. It's kind of paranoid. But <laughs> um, and, and the whole idea that somehow the flash that happened when they opened the cryotube is ridiculous. Now, the idea that those four had to be immune from the apparent unnatural persuasive abilities of this animated corpse uh, is important. That's important to the story. But again, how they accomplish it makes no sense whatsoever. No. No. No, it was actually it was quite bad. And so when they were doing this little world tour, were they always taking a shuttle, or they were never, or were they beaming from place to place? Uh, I don't. Did you they think ever that tell as, us? Soon, as soon as they beam, they would notice that hey, this this dude's not all all dude. Well, every transporter must it does does an incredibly detailed scan of the person. So yeah, couldn't they would read that? To, yeah. Couldn't they read that? Yeah, you're right. right. Uh, so. But yeah. The, you know, it, like you say, it's for the kids. It's for the kids. It's for the kiddies. Exactly. And maybe there was a kid out there going, "Hey, they they did this cryo thing on uh, with Khan." <laughs> there you go. Maybe, maybe they'll bring him back one day into like a movie or something. <laughs> exactly. And then his friends was like, "No, dude, Star Trek's over. The animated show's over. The TV show's over. There's not going to be a movie. You're not going to get it again." Besides, the science fiction stuff's a fad. It's going to go away. Nobody cares. Right. So, also in this issue, I like how they kept showing these aliens, and yet, again, it's all conjecture that there's even aliens out there Yeah. that, that were doing this. And yet, we had a visual version of them, and we kept seeing them in, in the story and all these supposed flashbacks, which right. aren't real flashbacks because it's just a made-up story. Right, and and what do they say? I mean, there is... So they conjecture that this was put there for a long-term attack on Earth, but that the aliens are nowhere around. I mean, they could their civilization could have ended by now. I mean, they're, all this conjecture. But whatever, the aliens aren't around anymore. They're, they're conjecturing. It's like, well, how do you know that? They could be waiting to, to strike. Uh, right. Who knows? Uh, they don't know. Getting back to your point. Um, it's just... Whatever. Yeah, it was just it was it was bad. Yeah. So okay, so why a, a few things? Uh huh. Why is Spock such a butthead lately to Scotty? <laughs> I mean, these I mean, at least two of these issues, uh, Spock is like not funny. Spock, he's making jokes at Scotty's uh, expense. You know, basically calling him an idiot, and it's like. 
Okay, first off, it's always McCoy and, and Spock who are sparring. And Spock never is really mean. Uh, but he's mean, in my opinion, in in his uh, frequent uh, ridicule of Scotty. Right. Nope, you're right. Uh, it's like, if, if you're, well, if he's that dumb, then uh, why is he in charge of the warp engines? Oh, the warp core. Okay, whatever. Anyway. I just, yeah, they're just, just I don't mean. like it. They're just mean spirited. So well, here, uh, what does he say? Uh, okay, so this is the last last joke, right? It, Scotty says, "Imagine all that time we were the only independent minds on Earth," and then Spock turns and says, "Actually, Mister Scott, I've always found your mind to be completely independent of logic." <laughs> and, then, and then McCoy and Kirk are like, <laughs> and then Scotty's like, his head's down, and he's skulking away. It's like, oh, you guys don't like me anymore. Anyway, <laughs> no, that's a good point. Well, they always make Scotty a much more prominent figure in the Gold Key than yeah, he why? is anywhere else. I don't know what? why. Well, it, is, know. is it because they thought they saw a lot of them in England or something, or the UK? Or something. Hey, let, let, let's let's grab the only guy from the UK uh, and you know give him more uh, light, and maybe maybe we'll sell more of these in right. there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's great character. Everybody loves him. Um, sure. And you sure. know, he had his place in in the show, um, and he's definitely elevated in these uh, many of these gold keys. Yes, agreed. So I have a question. Um, these monuments and stuff that they keep visiting, mm. do you think these are the original monuments that are there now in the real world? Or do you think they've been recreated after, you know, oh, the Eugenic War and stuff like that? Um, I don't know. <laughs> because no. the reason why I say that, Ken, yes. is I've seen all of these things get destroyed already. <laughs> in various Star Trek incarnations? In, no, in Gold Keep. Oh, early, earlier episode. Okay, issue, yeah. Uh, most of these were completely destroyed in uh, the Voodoo Planet. Oh, oh, um... which is canon to this story. <laughs> so these are all recreations of the Eiffel Tower and Mount Rushmore and things like that. Okay, so the Voodoo Planet, I'm sure everybody will recall, is probably infamous for one of the worst issues of Gold Key ever. It is the Star Trek V of... <laughs> it is the Spock's brain of Gold Key. Uh, it's not that bad. It's bad. It's really bad. And you're pointing to it as canon. That's funny. And it has to be canon. It's in the issues. Just like Star <laughs> Trek V's canon. <laughs> you can't have a Star Trek VI without a Star Trek V, and therefore it's canon. But Cybok was never mentioned before or after, was he? Well, either was Michael, but she's canon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so. well, obviously that's because Michael hurt Spock's feelings and called him a little half breed or whatever. So right, right. that's right. why Spock never talks about her. Well, he probably has an equal reason to not talk about. Simon. Oh, I'm sorry. Also, because they always they were sworn to secrecy. They were right. sworn to never bring it up. That's right. I guess there's more of a reason. <laughs> I'm just saying that uh, I find it hard to believe that these are the same monuments just because uh, 
you know, at least they didn't show the Golden Gate Bridge because, as we know, the Golden Gate Bridge gets destroyed in every single movie. <laughs> uh, yes, the attack, wa- the attack watched, on Starfleet. I watched Terminator Genesis last night. Guess what got destroyed right at the beginning? What? The Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, my God. And then later, when they go back in time, it got destroyed again. <laughs> they, they did it Nobody twice. likes that bridge. I wonder why. I so don't know. Weird. I don't know. I guess the riders are in, in California a lot, and they see it, and they're like, you know what? I'm going to destroy that in my next movie. Yeah. Well, but also, if you associate any... you, If you talk about Starfleet, you're pretty much talking about San Francisco. I kind of get why they did it in the J.J. Yeah. Abrams Star Trek movie. It's right. just all the other movies where they destroy it is why I always wonder why. Why Golden Gate Bridge, of all other... Oh, like with Terminator. Golden. Like with Terminator. Terminator, okay. Planet of the Apes, right. every other science fiction movie that destroys stuff, uh, right. X-Men, they all destroy the Golden Gate Bridge. Right. Seems weird. It is weird. What did it do to deserve it? I don't know. Anyway. All right, my, la- my last comment is um, I thought it was funny when they have to get completely naked to be sterilized. Yeah, I know. And they're giggling. Hee! <laughs> It's four grown men completely naked laughing uh, with their arms up in the air. Yeah. It just seems weird. And, yes, it is weird. And, okay, I I know that, okay, so maybe they're trying to say they're doing that because of how they're going to revive the Dr. Bleakoff or whatever, but they come, they go to alien planets that have all kinds of stuff going on, and they come back to the ship, and they never do anything. Anything like this. Right. The closest we ever get to that is in Enterprise. I know. They rub the jelly on you. (laughs) (laughs) And talk about a gratuitous sex scene or a sexy scene uh, just to grab viewers or something. Right. So, uh, okay, so engineer and oh what's her name i forgot her name to paul to paul so uh to paul super hot she's the hottie she's the seven of nine of, of the series and uh i guess i guess engineer is trip i guess trip is, is sexy i guess yeah trip and, oh yeah he's totally sexy yeah okay there you go so they get to rub oil or or petroleum jelly on each other i don't know what it is but yeah, it's supposed to be disinfected sort of slime stuff exactly so and they get to do it to each other. <laughs> well, you got to they can't because they back. can't get the back. They can't get the back. Oh my god. Okay, so other than that, uh, well, well, the transporter takes care of this, right? Is isn't the transporter always removing any kind of extra ooky things when you come back? Supposed to, yeah. Mm. Unless it's on the fritz. Unless it's on the fritz and ends up splitting you. <laughs> It's been prone to do that, yes. <laughs> Into evil and good halves. There you go. It happens. It happens. It, it happens. it happens. Okay. All right. Anything else on this one? Nothing. So, in regards to that naked picture, have we seen that before? Because it have looks we? so familiar, and I and therefore a minute I thought, oh, darn it, we've read this book already, and mm-hmm. then I've gone back and tried to find when we did this issue before, and. Uh, I could never find it, and the rest of the story didn't really seem that familiar. So, have they done this before? The the naked, laughing. I don't know. Sterilization. I don't remember it. 
All right, so then it's just me. Somehow I remember it. Because I'm looking at at the at the at the main panel where they're laughing, and it's yeah. like ha 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 he 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 har 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 oh it's har okay because I, I thought it, I thought it was hey yar hey yar hey yar I don't know what it was yeah. I don't and know. it's like their their hands are up in the air and they're in a grand old time it's just what is that last guy on the right doing with his right hand <laughs> he's making sure nothing falls off I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's weird. It's funny where the mind goes. Anyway, uh we done with this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go on to the next. Okay. Alright, so issue forty came out September of nineteen seventy six called Furlough to Fury. And this one is very uh prominent to know that this would have cost you an extra nickel. Than the last issue. Last issue would cost you a quarter. This issue is thirty cents. Do we get our value from that? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, so uh, an extra nickel. So that's that's kind of a, a good price, steep price increase. But anyways, uh, so the issue is again uh, a gorgeously painted cover. Um, it shows a woman in a red dress uh, and a blue cape. Uh, falling off of a tower of some sort uh, with next to a large purple bear uh, who seems to be kind of jumping down from the tower onto a uh, red-shirted man uh, on some staircase below. And it says, A Triangle of Peril, an alien beast, McCoy's daughter, and the Enterprise. Bum, bum, bum. All right, so the uh, Enterprise is damaged by a cosmic storm. The cosmic storm is so bad that the crew even see each other's skeletons for a bit. That's that's pretty in, intense x-rays or whatever their explanation is. But anyways, the uh, ship is damaged and it is a, able to eventually limp its way home to Earth and its moon's space dock for the repairs. While on Earth, awaiting the repairs to be completed, the crew gets some much-needed R&R. McCoy and Kirk decide to beam down to Yuri University and meet McCoy's daughter, Barbara, who is a professor of xenozoology. The three of them go out for dinner, but she's called back to the university uh, due to the arrival of a rare Varel. The Varel is a large purple bear with three horns, and the ability to transmit people's thoughts to other people. Barbara is able to show off how good she is with animals by taming the wild beast just with her words. Um, while this is happening, the Vrel passes some information between Barbara and Kirk. So Kirk now knows that uh, she has a dinner with somebody but is willing to break it off. And she's willing, and she somehow knows that Kirk's interested and wants to take her out. Meanwhile, Scotty's at a bar meeting with his brother. While there, he sees a former crewman who was drummed out of Starfleet some time back due to the suspicion that he stole a rare alien artifact. Though they never found the artifact or any definite proof that he did it, he was forced off the Enterprise and Starfleet itself by Captain Kirk. Later that night, guards are mistreating the Varel, and it kills one of them and escapes, climbing a nearby tower. Barbara and Kirk race to try to calm the beast before the guards and police kill it. The Varel seems to calm down when she's next to him talking to him on, on the tower. 
but then Kirk somehow startles him by being there. Um, when when the Vrel kind of reaches out to Kirk, Barbara accidentally falls off of the tower. The Vrel jumps off as well, and he catches her, puts her back on the tower ledge, but he's too weak, and he falls to his death. In his dying moments, a strange thought message passes to them. Elsewhere, Scotty suspects that the former crewman might try to do something while Enterprise is in repair dock. And it seems that he's right. The disgraced officer is planning to stow away the Enterprise and remove the artifact he has hidden there all those years ago. The man catches Scotty eavesdropping and knocks him out and throws him to a trash dump. He then sneaks aboard the Enterprise without any problem, takes the item that he had hidden in an air duct, and then sets a bomb to destroy a good chunk of the Enterprise at a later time. As he's trying to escape, Kirk and Barbara show up and thwart him. It seems that Scotty's thoughts while he lay trapped in the dump were the thoughts that were passed by the Varel to Kirk so that he knew of the danger. Lastly, the Enterprise is getting ready to depart, and Barbara says that she might join the Enterprise one day if she ever wants to explore some strange new animals in their rightful environments. The end. Barbara. Hmm. Barbara. So she's uh, got a nice cape on. Rather superhero-ish. A lovely lady. Sure, sure. And, um, and she's, in this incarnation, a... Xenozoologist. She's been. She's had other careers in other Star Trek stories that and talk about her. Other names, because uh, this is the only time she's referred to as Barbara. Ah, good point. So, in all other media, and including the Star Trek Bible that was written by DC Fontania back in uh, season one, season two era, uh-huh. her her name was identified as Joanna. Uh huh. And there was even going to be an episode called Joanna where Kirk and Joanna start hooking up. And then the dynamic between Kirk and McCoy becomes more of a you're not good enough to date my daughter type thing. (laughs) Which I think would have been an awesome episode. That's interesting. And they had it planned, but it never got filmed for season three. And since then, the character Joanna has appeared in lots of novels, lots Mm -hmm. of comic books um, that we've already read. Yep. Um, but, uh, but her name has never been Barbara except for Gold Key. That's funny. But yeah, she's usually a, 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 a some sort of scientist or medical yeah. field. Yeah, medical. That other one, she was, uh, was she trained to be a nurse or some kind of medical person in one of the comics we read? I think she's a nurse in one. She was a doctor in one. Um, she's been, she was been in, um, that original Marvel run, which mm-hmm. was like takes place right after the motion picture, she was in that. I think she was already a doctor at that point. And then in the Untold Voyages, which was also by Marvel, uh, she's in there. I think she was a scientist or something. And then in the IDW year four, I think she was graduating medical school or something in that mm-hmm. one. Right. Uh, which is when um, that was that that story had. Remember, each issue was the crew thinking back of. Their children. So there was like a episode where Kirk was thinking about Peter after Sam died, and then there was an issue where McCoy was thinking back on Joanna graduating. Mm. So that's that's the only time I remember her recently. Right. That's the most recent 
um, comic book. I think she's been in novels, but uh, yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah. So I don't know why they changed her name to Barbara in this story. Yeah. It's either a coincidence that they came up with the idea of having a, him having a daughter, um, or they did somehow have the Bible and uh, decided to change it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you you think they'd be, be able to be consistent like that, but there's so many things they're inconsistent with, so there you go. Right. Well, um, so, uh, I know this is kind of uh, moving things off of Barbara, but mm-hmm. um, I just want to mention, this is the second issue where Spock is being kind of a poop head to Scotty. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so uh, in this one... Scotty invites Spock to come to the bar and hang out with his brother. Right. And Spock then just like, well, I don't fall for loneliness. And what else does he do? He he says, I never doubted your native intelligence, Mr. Scott, only your refusal to ever use it. Burn. It's like Scotty's just being nice. And this is one of the few issues that Spock doesn't do anything in the whole story except be mean. And uh, at one point, he's like, maybe I am lonely. Aside from that, uh, he's not even in this story. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a off-the-ship, mostly, episode. And people are doing things. Um, I found that Garvin character interesting. So Garvin is the... Starfleet officer who uh, turns out to be a thief and a no-good Nick, which I'm not 100%... Well, I'm pretty sure that like Harlan Ellison's City on the Edge of Forever script, where Mm -hmm. there was also a similar character that was actually selling drugs to the crew. Um... So he's a Starfleet officer, completely not what you would expect from the typical Starfleet officer mold. I mean, basically, he's a criminal right. who's on the shift, ship and an officer. This guy, Garvin, similar. Um, and he, he takes his first opportunity to, to take this valuable uh, gem or whatever and then hide it and say, oh, I, I don't know where it is. So um, I, I thought that was very inconsistent with who Starfleet officers are. Um, so somehow this guy made it through Starfleet Academy <laughs> and some length of a career uh, while they're sitting around looking for opportunities to, 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 to do thieving things, which I, th- I I just don't find that very... Well, that's definitely not consistent with Star- what Star Trek's all about, what Starfleet's supposed to be about. But um, right. But this guy's a real, like, street tough. I mean, he's got his two thieving buddies... Um, and between the three of them, they look like they're old-fashioned, cut-from-the-old 20th century uh, slime bag, uh, you know, thieves. Very odd. It is odd. Yeah, but it definitely reminded me of that Harlan Ellison, Sitting on the Edge of Forever story. No, I could totally see that. Yeah. Um, I did kind of wonder how he got the the gem from from the the site up to the Enterprise. Yeah. That, that's never explained. No. Nope. They don't bother. But somehow he did it, and somehow he hid it, and no one found it. In Sulu's air duct. 
Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> apparently Sulu is not cleaning his air ducts enough. <laughs> and I find it funny how many times the ship gets banged around and that and that never uh, <laughs> that made any never, noise, like made any noise or moved somewhere else in the ship when it's like turned sideways or upside down. Right. Yeah. So, uh, horned purple King Kong bear. Yeah, this 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 ended with the King Kong vibe with uh, yeah the creature saving the girl and then exactly. falling to his death. Twas beauty that killed the beast. With a cape. She had a cape, which was awesome. She had a blue cape, and what's the what's the color of her dress? At least on the cover. Uh, on the cover, it's red. Exactly. So, does that remind you of anybody that you like a lot? Hmm, Barbara? Bar- yeah, Barbara. Barbara's outfit. Does it remind you of anybody that you, Donovan, like? That wears That also a wears cape? a cape. Lando? Not Calrissian. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, in, in, the, in the story, she has a blue cape, and she's wearing a red, red dress. Right. Well, and yeah. It's I... on, on the cover, it's flipped. No, no, no. She's she's got a blue cape and a red dress. So uh, who are you talking about? Superman Stop, wears Superman. a red Superman. Cape and blue. Yeah, but those are his colors. He's got the blue okay. and the red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's a primary color, which always works out well in comic books. So it makes it, it well, it makes it easier to print. Right. So they they got those colors down pat. They got those at the printers, no problem. You get a discount. <laughs> Yeah, the purple uh, monster kind of changed colors, I think, at, at one point. Right. <laughs> I do find it funny he's just a bear with horns. Yeah, two horns. No, and... three. And oh, he's got like three? A, it's like a mohawk. He has three oh, you're right, he's got three. And a perfect okay. line between his eyes. He, yeah, the, the, the third one is be, like between his eyes, so it's very forward on his, his skull. And then the other ones move back. Yeah, which is stupid. Yeah. Um... I mean, I think that he would get caught on stuff like he's trying to like go into a a hole, and his horns get stuck. Exactly, but in a fight, that could be handy. Yeah, mm. I guess. Mm. But he could also somehow telepathically move stuff. So, or not oh. move stuff, but <laughs> move move memories or messages oh. from person to person. Yeah, that's really well. I guess that's handy. But <laughs> uh, I, I guess it needed it for the story. But that seems like a very odd power for a space bear to have. Right. Yeah, why would that be um, in in the wild? Well, because the story needed it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. What else? What else is here? Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't really have much left. Um, uh, I, I I thought it was really cool how they have the cops flying around and one man flying saucers. Flying saucers, yeah. Instead of like like biplanes. They weren't really doing anything though. No. They weren't shooting at the bear. I mean, there are explosions close to the bear where it says yeah. wham and crack, but uh, but they don't hit the bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do find it funny she's able to walk up and say, stop shooting. I'm a zeobiologist. And they're like, <laughs> okay, lady, go on up there. <laughs> Give your shot. You'll probably die, but we're supposed to protect you. But yeah, go ahead. They weren't like, let me see your credentials. Oh, oh no, she really is a xenobiologist or a xenozoologist. <laughs> and even with that, would you really let her go into a dangerous situation like that? I'm thinking no. 
I'm but... thinking no, too. But what do I know? I'm not a xenobiologist. Or a cop. Exactly. Or a cop. Good point. Yeah. Um. So, so the Enterprise was on Earth, right? Uh-huh. Okay, because they got the ramp going right up to the... Uh, the hangar bay for shuttle, shuttle, shuttle ham, hangar bay, and uh, it's kind of cool and stuff. But that means the whole ship is on is on the planet, which they made a big deal at the beginning that they were going to the moon. Oh, you know they kept saying, okay. "Yeah, we're going to get our repairs at the moon, moon," and then oh, okay. then it shows them on the on the planet. Oh, okay, but or is that the moon is populated? I mean, they're hanging around on the moon. You that's, that's weird. Moon? Well, uh, that would make sense with what they said earlier, now that you mention it. But And, and look, look at the outs. Okay, so I'm looking at a scene where it shows the hangar bay and the ramp going up to it. Mm-hmm. And it almost looks like it's inside of like a hangar or something. And, and it almost looks like there's like weird openings in the ceiling of the hangar that kind of shows stars. Is that uh, let me see. well? Let's whatever, see. it doesn't matter. Where? Let, let, let's not bog things down too much. But <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, maybe they're, okay. So in theory, maybe they're on the moon. Who knows? Uh, and terraformed, it ha- and it has an atmosphere, <laughs> and it, and it has uh, well, uh, and it has enough uh, gravity that people aren't just jumping around. All right, fine. Yeah. yeah. So so I'll Barbara, so if Barbara fell off that little tower thing, she might not have been going down that that. That fast, so she wouldn't have. Oh, you think her university's on 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 the moon? Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to get the consistency of this straight. Okay, okay, I mean, that's you a good point. You can beam back up to the moon from from well, Earth I, to the moon. I do agree. It just seems like everything is on the same page. <laughs> okay, so so when when the bear well, Scotty, the, when Scotty the bear dies, Scotty is in England or what Scotland. With his brother, and so you would think and that. So, uh, but that's also redhead is there. Yeah, so then he beams up to the moon. Oh my god! I don't know. I don't know, man. This makes it no makes sense. No sense. Okay, okay, that's fine. But yeah, okay, whatever. Just go with it. Okay, you have anything at, else? At, at least, at least this one, um, when they're doing their deduction and and figuring things out, makes more sense than the last issue, which is where they're just pulling it out of their butts. Yeah. Uh, but but this one also has a couple moments where Scotty's dressed up as a beggar and he's oh, right. able to read. He is, he is Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and he's able to read his lips. That that's how he figures this all out. Is that I'm able to read this guy's lips from the other side of the street to know that he's saying he's going to um, steal it back from the Enterprise, um, which I think they even say something like, "If you spend a lifetime in." Uh, next to the thunder of rocket engines, you learn to read lips. I oh, just, I've, <laughs> I've seen enough That's... Star Trek. All it does is sound like wom wom wom. Is that is that even rocket engines? I thought it was. It's uh, not a rocket engine. Impulse impulse engines. Well, it's yeah, it's not impulse engines. And then uh, okay, so the war. Well, okay, so the impulse engines are up in the saucer section, which is away from the engineering section, which is. You know, in in the secondary hull, right? right? And then you got the warp drive, which is also away from the secondary hull, about the same distance as the impulse engines. I have no idea, but they're not rocket engines. I know that much, right? 
So, okay. Anyways, that was my last comment. Okay. So this is the one you like best. Um. Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> uh, you I know, think I just like the Barbara. The Barbara yeah, thing. yeah, I like the Barbara thing too. And you know, she does say you know she threatens to come back. So uh, we'll see if that ever happens. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Keep, keep the door open. Okay. Should we go on the next one? Yeah. Sure. Okay, so this one is issue number 41. It's titled The Evictors. The Evictors. November n- November 1976? I think that's right. Uh, no idea about the writers. Okay, so the cover. So the cover features a large spaceship with a spherical center and Tylenol-shaped engines in the back and a partially obscured delta-shaped forward section. It appears to have shields activated, which is good because it is in a firefight with numerous small attack craft likely coming from the planet that is in the upper background of the cover. The Enterprise is looking badly drawn, I mean badly drawn and out of proportion, as it is just hanging out near the big spaceship and pointed the other direction, while the battle is waging on all around them. Large, hot pink capital letters spell out the evictors. That's the cover. Kirk, Spock, and Scotty are in their dress uniforms, paying a diplomatic call to planet Enraka, whose inhabitants are celebrating their 10,000th year of recorded history. Supreme Counselor DeVore is their host to a sumptuous dinner and post-meal celebrations. Spock demonstrates his knowledge of Nrakan people by making a very long traditional toast that pays homage to an unlikely historic figure named Zotar, who invented their written language, music, mathematics, and taught them to love each other. Essentially, he is Moses, Caesar, Einstein, and Paul Bunyan all rolled up into one. Because we all know how much love Paul Bunyan spread. Scotty ends up walking out into the crowded streets of Merrymakers as at the invitation of the Supreme Counselor's lovely daughter named Riva. Rava. While Kirk and Spock walk out onto the balcony, to watch fireworks and an extravagant video presentation. There is a huge rectangular screen that is located 186 miles uh, away from the planet out in space, so the majority of the population could view it from anywhere on that half of of the planet that faces the screen. The video presentation displays the head of Zotar, who looks like a Roman centurion with two vertical slits in his face where his nose should be. Not long into the presentation, a hole begins to form in the screen, and through it flies a huge spaceship, mostly made up of a sphere in the middle, with engines sticking out the back and an arrow-shaped forward section sticking out of the front somewhat like an arrow through an apple. With apprehension, a world looks on as the huge ship opens a comms channel to the whole planet. What they see looks like Zotar, reborn for the occasion, but rather than bringing good tidings, it introduces itself as Inoduku, 
the leader of the Samora, and tells the dwellers of the planet to listen up. Meanwhile, Scotty is the only one standing as the rest of the crowd on the streets are on their knees bowing to their god. Scotty is scratching his head, not knowing quite what to make of all this. The face from the past speaks and tells them his people dwelt on their planet 500,000 years ago, but are now back to take back their world. The current dwellers must prepare to pack up and leave in the Samoran spaceship. It's closing time, folks, so you can go where you want, but you can't stay here. Inok Duku goes on to tell them that his people built massive spaceships that could hold a significant portion of the planet's population where their, when their scientists predicted increased radiation emissions from their sun that would roast the planet and kill all life. They departed from the planet and left behind the people they could not fit to their fiery fate. Having finished telling them their story and the basis for their claims on the planet, Inoduku says they have one day to capitulate and prepare to depart the planet. The Samora will again live on their sacred home world. Supreme Counselor Devore wonders out loud if his people could have developed in the 500,000 years since the Samora's departure. Spock offers scientifically based conjecture that says it is possible. In fact, Dior's people could be descendant from the Samora that were left behind. Radiation from the increased solar emissions could account for mutations, including gaining a real nose rather than facelets. In the meantime, the street crowds start going wild, saying God is dead and they are losing their home. Scotty and Rava get caught up in the riots and spend the rest of the story running and fighting for their lives. Not knowing what to do about this world-shattering set of events, Supreme Counselor DeVore asks Kirk what would he do if his world were, were invaded. Kirk knows he should not interfere with the affairs of this world that is not part of the Federation yet, but he feels he owes DeVore the truth. He finally says, begrudgingly, he would fight. Dior orders his military to attack the invading ship on the pretext that they are space pirates that has no claim to Naraka. The much smaller Narakan ships fall like F-18 Hornets on Independence Day as they can't get past the invading craft's shields. Kirk calls up to Sulu, who who is in temporary command of the Enterprise and tells him to stay out of the conflict and do not fire on the invading spaceship unless fired upon. Finally, seeing how hopeless the fight is and after Inoku starts firing on the Enterprise to use it as leverage to get Dior to capitulate, Spock offers to help. He will almost instantly modify the Narakan defense ship's weapons to achieve full penetration. The small but numerous ships do indeed achieve full penetration and start inflicting enough damage that Enoduku gives the order to withdraw. 
Spock's modifications doomed the Samora to forever travel through space, looking for another place to call home. After the battle is over, Scotty bids a fond farewell to the lovely Rava. Spock finds evidence that Inokduku was telling the truth. They were not space pirates. Their actions doomed the Samora to wander through space, a world without a planet to live on. Kirk wonders if there was a better way he could have handled the situation, but resigns himself to never knowing. The end. So this is an example of them screwing up. (laughs) (laughs) They could have handled this so better. I mean... They could have handled this so so much better. And by the way, I'm assuming that they're not part of the Federation, or else they wouldn't have been prohibited from in, intervening. I mean, they protect their their member uh, planets. Yeah, when you said that in the synopsis, I was like, oh man, I must have missed that part. But but, but yeah, you're it was conjecture my conjecture, hundred percent right. Right. So uh, not a member of the Federation. Um, they've got space travel, but probably not interplanetary space travel. I guess. Um, although that is what you're supposed to have, you know, warp drive to yeah, but just uh, be contacted. But right. So um, well, you're not supposed to contact them. You can't even contact them. So here, they're at least they know of them. So right, maybe right, they're just right. not part of the Federation. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So they're an independent state, and you still can't get involved. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So they say. I guess we'll never know. Well, you know what? If this ship is somehow in some big, long elliptical orbit, getting away from the solar system long enough, and then whipping back around to come back after the planet's been burned and and hopefully, you know, uh, grew back and became uh, life-supporting again, you would think that (laughs) they do not have uh, faster-than-light travel capabilities. Uh, way back the then, Samora, yeah. the Samora right. weather. Um, it was in space for fi- fi- five hundred thousand years. That's a long time. Um, so, I mean, anyway. And something uh, that moves so, that slow. How did it sneak up on them? Well, like, they never saw it on long long range scans. They you would hope. Else? You would hope so. And and also, uh, you would think that anything that slow that the Enterprise could easily catch up with. So let's say everything happened the way it happened. Couldn't the Enterprise catch up with it in seconds? I mean, seconds. And say, hey, you know what? You can't just take over that planet and, and depose everybody. But is there, pl- is there a place on the planet, uh, an open uh, continent or something that isn't taken up that you could, could be on? Uh, or let's say that doesn't work. They can't live on the same one. I mean, don't haven't they relocated people in the Star Trek universe before? Uh, I mean, couldn't they offer uh, Federation aid in resettling them someplace? I mean, they don't have to be doomed to the Battlestar Galactica, you know, flying forever, looking for a new home. Right. Yeah. No. There's a there was a lot of a uh, lot of things they could have done, but they ran out of pages. Can't they? <laughs> exactly. They just wrapped things up. You can only do so up. much in a 22-page book. Exactly. And, and I definitely think I'll key a little bit more into action than, uh, than planetary con- or interplanetary con- uh, politics and 
whatever. So, so wasn't it kind of odd that uh, Spock compliments a beef dish served up by the Supreme Counselor? When Vulcans are vegetarians? Exactly. Huh. It's almost like that's not canon yet. <laughs> but it was Wasn't it? Wasn't it in Taws some point he, he mentioned he was uh, oh, did they? vegetarian? I, I, I thought I didn't, so. I didn't know that. I, I, I didn't or maybe it was in the movie. Maybe he mentioned the movies. I, I didn't know. know it until... Uh, the uh, discovery, or not discovery? Discovery. Um, 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 Enterprise. Enterprise. Oh, when T'Pol says it was the first time I remember hearing that they were vegetarians. Oh, I, I think it came up before. I thought I think it came up in Todd's, but I could be wrong. Gotcha. Anyway, it's uh, but even if they did bring it up in Todd's, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, to the writers of <laughs> Gold Key, if that was the worst thing they ever did, <laughs> that wouldn't be horrible. I mean, they they step on canon all the time, but. Whatever. That's funny. Uh, but I, it was like it's like oh my god, geek faux pas, big time. And you know what's another geek geek faux pas? Uh, Paul Bunyan thing. Uh, ooh, what how is that a geek faux, faux pas? I mean, they mixed him in with uh, what they mixed him up with a, a deity, a uh, scientific genius, and then. Uh, no, 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 no. Who's a deity? Well, Moses. He's it's not a he's deity. a religious icon. Yeah, a religious icon. There you go. And then Caesar, military icon. Einstein, yep. a scientific icon. Yep. And then Paul Bunyan, which is <laughs> hello, completely made up. <laughs> Nobody's out there believing Paul Bunyan was a real dude. No, and what an odd choice. I mean, they must I have know. made that choice. What? That's just seemed like a very American thing. I don't know. But, uh, maybe because he was so old or tall. I mean, what did Paul Bunyan really do? Just walked around chopping down trees? Chopping and down giant, trees, right? Deforesting uh, forest, you know, speeding global warming. Yeah, that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> and he was giant, right? That's, he that's was what he's known for, right? Exactly, in the big blue okay. ox. That's what he's known for. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Which I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really see the, the, the um, connection between. I did not. Uh, I was thinking of a more... Um, Obvious and egregious faux pas. Geek faux pas. All right, go ahead. Okay, so there's a panel where Kirk is talking to Spock, and he says, Are we sure of that, Dr. Spock? How long would it take for the city ships to get safely away? Dr. Spock is the baby doctor, not... Exactly. It's the baby doctor. It is not our pointy-eared first officer. Ooh, that's a... That's a bad call, man. That's a big one, man. That's a big one. So I don't, re- I don't remember which page it was on exactly, but I've got a little snippet from the uh, panel right? in my notes. Yep, Dr. Spock. Well, what I thought was odd was when they're doing their, what if, uh, what if these guys were mutated from, the, from those original guys? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, yeah, and then the first generation would be blue. And I'm like, what? Ah. Where did that ever come <laughs> from? The guys living there now aren't blue. And then they're like, yeah, and then they would grow noses. Or well, they don't even bring up the noses, but it's just, where did the blue people come from? There's I have no, no idea. no blue people in the whole story. I have no idea. And this is all Spock conjecture anyway, right? Yeah, but why bring up blue people? I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so weird. I was so, so confused. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. That was and odd. Then, and then uh, they did bring up poop corn, which I thought was funny. Poop corn? What? What? Yeah, when uh, when Spock when no when Scotty's like going out with the girl, and then he's like, "Yeah, they, 
I'd love to see the popcorn per- confession, or I'd love to see the popcorn concession, and then she's like, "What is poopcorn?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you said poopcorn. <laughs> uh, I said popcorn, lassie. <laughs> poopcorn is something completely different, and, uh, you don't and I don't, I don't think I know. No, no. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, corn is a unique. <laughs> very apparently, apparently very hearty seed. Let's not go there. <laughs> Most aliens wouldn't know anything about that experience. Anyway, let's move on. Oh, Ken. Oh, Donovan. So, um, it was wasn't it good that Spock was able to help the general's weapons achieve full penetration? That's great. Yeah, I never heard it referred to as that. Not that's. I th- I think that's what he said. No, that's what he said. I just never heard it referred to as that before now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but actually, it reminded me of Independence Day. So, you know, shields. Mm. You can't get through the shields because your technology is so wimpy. So, you know, obviously they didn't have Spock around to help out with the weapons. So in right. in Independence Day, they were able to bring down the shields. But still, it reminded me. This thing reminded me of that. Yeah, no, I totally get it. What it gets me was that when the guy, um, the guy, uh, I forgot his name, but when he first communicates to the people and he's like, hey, you know, uh, you need to do what I, I tell you to do. Get off get off the planet or I'm going to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, hey, look, he looks just like Zoltar or whatever like that, which it can't be the same guy because Zoltar in the video is an actor, right? I mean, it's a little movie they had, Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he looks the same in that he just doesn't have – he has the nose thing? Or are they saying that he really looks just like him? Well, I think the point was um, – and, and I will I will agree that the fact that the video image was absolutely identical, at least in every way I saw, to the actual – you know, the real alien or mm-hmm. the real – actually not an alien at all. I mean, they're descendant from each other. Um is quite a coincidence. <laughs> but I think they're saying that that's what those guys look like, and apparently their fashion sense doesn't change over 500,000 years. Right. And But then at the end, it, Spock is just amazing. So he's able to work with their engineers to quickly retrofit all their ships, like in a matter of minutes. So you're amazing, Spock. And then before they leave the planet, Spock's able to do an archaeological dig, and find a little statue that looks just like their image of Zoltar and just like the the, the planetary guys. So um, apparently that video image they had was based on whatever knowledge was passed down for what Zoltar looked like. And apparently in 500,000 years, these people that have gone through generations on this generational ship didn't change much. Right. And maybe you wouldn't if you're on a, on a on a spaceship where, you know, it's consistent conditions of light and, and other kinds of external influences. Maybe you wouldn't change much, but whatever. I'm, th- I'm overthinking it. Yeah, you're overthinking it. I just found it funny that he was able to find a statue there that nobody else had found after the city was completely destroyed. Mm. So right. all those buildings fell down, and yet he was able to find a little statue that nobody else had seen before when all the buildings were still up. <clears throat> That's right. 
And didn't, didn't he insinuate that he, like, found it in a cavern or something or something right. underground or something? I don't know. Yep. Nope, that's what he said. So was this hinted at? This is, like, when they were subterranean living during the uh, the solar flares, the super solar flares or whatever? Oh, you're right. When they were blue. Is that what they were yes, trying to? When they were blue. Right. When they were blue. So Spock is the only one that thought of going into these things to look for archaeological things? I don't know. Yes. Okay. No, that totally makes sense now, Kim. Thank you. But he said sarcastically. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm just trying to make sense of it, man. I like how their ship looks like a giant circle with an arrow pointing through it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, and then and then the engines look like uh, four, like elongated Tylenols uh, uh, stuck yep. on the back. Yep. 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 Yeah. It looks like a baby rattle. Oh, baby with, rattle, perhaps, with a po- perhaps. With a pokey end. Right. So there, there's no kind of drive cone. So at least they don't have rocket engines. So thumbs up there. But uh, if you're traveling for 500,000 years and you haven't said, hey, why don't we just go ahead and look for a new planet? Um, you're, 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 you are not traveling faster than light. No. But at least they don't have drive cones. Well, they need something that could provide thrust for 500,000 years. Right. Uh, unless, of course, it truly is in some kind of elongated elliptical orbit. So it's just like going off of momentum the whole time. And But where would they go? Out of the solar system and then back in? I think so. Because the sun is what was causing the problem, right? Well, yeah. But that's why if you if you head off on an elliptical path that is very elliptical... That So you're going to be going away from the solar system for a while, and then you curve around and come back again. But after right. 500,000 years of travel, you would probably be so far away that the the original solar system's gravity would be irrelevant to right. you. You just keep going. Anyway, whatever. Until you hit another solar system, and then you start getting sucked into that one. Could, perhaps. Um, no, anyway, it's whatever. Silly. It's silly. Uh, my, la- my last comment, Ken, on yeah. this one um, is Kirk's hand placements while he's oh. talking on the communicator. Oh, I did not notice anything like that. Okay, so what 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 about it? It's weird. Okay. I'm trying so to is this towards picture. the end, the middle? Uh, it's kind of right after the two-page spread, which is kind of rare for Gold Key. Okay. Um, this actually might be the first two-page spread I've ever seen. From the... But he's, ta- he's talking to Sulu, and it's like his hand is kind of like in these weird positions while he's talking and in fact it kind of looks like he's he's like hand is completely pulled backwards and he's still talking to Sulu with the the flip part pointing towards his mouth um did you find the picture right after Scotty pushes pushes the statue onto the people it's the next page oh gotcha uh oh yeah yeah uh okay well oh so it's too far forward. Is that is that what you're saying is the issue? Well, yeah. Look at the the third panel on that page where it says, uh, "Then a rasping roar bursts from the mini communicator, and it looks like his hand is completely oh detached from the rest of his body. His thumb is towards his face, so he's he has to have so his right hand's holding it. Yeah, yeah. But it's a w- awkward way to hold a communicator. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe he's holding it open that way. Because it's not spring-loaded and holding it open by itself. And he's having to hold the the thing open with his chin. 
Well, it is not. It's not touching his chin. Yeah. It, it does look. It does. It's. It's weird. It looks awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I that that part threw me off. Yeah. When I was reading it, I was like, "What's he doing with his hand?" It's like they drew it in later. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Okay, I got one more thing to say, and All it's an right, important good. thing. I think it's. Very, I think it's critical, and I'm surprised you didn't mention it. Is it so, the Hulk? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, I I found myself getting drawn into the narrative of the Incredible Hulk, who is trapped in a cave by the Toad King, but who is rescued by another Toad person that looks nothing like a Toad, and then the Toad rescuer wins the Hulk over by the chocolatey goodness of Hostess Cupcakes. The creamy white filling closes the friendship deal. It's basically a story of true friendship with an ending with a hint of violence to come. I loved it. I almost started my synopsis of issue 40 <laughs> with the Hulk fighting the green frog because okay. that that's the very first page is the Incredible Hulk versus the green frog. And again, it's a... It's a hostess thing, but he's fighting a giant kaiju type frog. Right, and he gets he gets his. Uh, sh- oh, they're all upset because it's cutting off their supply of Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a multi part narrative. Yeah, yeah, no, this keeps going. I did not realize that. <laughs> I, I I only got into this story of friendship and future violence. No, nah, no, nah, the other ones are great because uh, you know Hulk, <laughs> Hulk is learning about the value of Twinkies. <laughs> The delicious golden sponge cake and cream filling. Yeah, no, it's uh, I love these old Hostess uh, <laughs> commercials, and they did it with with every comic book franchise you can think of. Oh, that's I mean, great. DC, Marvel, right? Uh, Gold Key, because they did some of they were doing the uh, Warner Brothers characters at the mm-hmm. time. Um, Archie, you know, ever everybody got in on the. Uh, Host is cupcake bandwagon back then. That's great. That is great. But yeah, this one we get we get the Incredible Hulk. And 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 the importance of the of the snack food. Right. Oh yeah. It because center stage. Because Hulk is not quite trusting this guy, <laughs> but once he revels in the creamy creamy white filling of the cupcake, that convinces him this guy's okay yeah and the other one uh, hulk doesn't want to fight the giant monster that's actually like ripping off parts of the buildings until uh, they have to explain how great twinkies are and then he's like hulk think slow but move fast <laughs> and then he goes and beats it up that's great oh, n- that's now great. i gotta go back and read read the full narrative <laughs> now you've got my interest peaked okay okay that's all i have to say all right Okay, all right. So uh, next week, as we promised earlier, uh, we're actually going to do more of a recent story, which is uh, the Q conflict one, two, and three. Great, looking it's a forward to that. It's a six-parter, so we'll have we'll do that for the next two episodes. Okay, that sounds great because I am looking forward to seeing almost all of the Star Trek incarnations on TV, TV incarnations brought together. Yeah, I'm hoping that maybe Enterprise is in there, and I just haven't seen it. But uh, they're definitely not on the covers. Well, you can, you know, uh, they're probably not there then. I, I doubt it. Yeah. Okay. 
Looking forward right. to it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us uh, as we keep on talking on and on about things that aren't always Star Trek. But uh, thanks for joining us. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.